The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put all this stuff in context, because it's real hard right now. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes, sometimes the hurdles just seem too high. The gauntlet too hard. Today is one of those times. Dow plunging 367 points. S&P plummeting 1.16%. NASDAQ plummeting 1.08%. And it was much worse at one point today. There's just too much to process going forward. So people, what do they do? They sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. Yep, those are four cells because we've got four potential negatives that are worth selling for. Actually rational. First, there's tomorrow's Fed meeting. Then there's the quarterly report from Apple, the biggest company on earth. Then there's the Labor Department's non-farm payroll report on Friday. And finally, there's the debt ceiling debacle. Those are four legitimate reasons to be concerned. If it were just one hurdle, we'd be fine. But with four of them, everybody wants to sell in May and go away. So why don't we take them one by one, unpack them so we can deal with them in a rational manner. Let's start with what's staring us right in the face. That's tomorrow's Fed meeting. We know people are prepared for a quarter point rate hike, but we simply don't know if the Fed will pause its aggressive tightening after that. Fed Chief Jay Powell's been terrific at telegraphing what he'll do. I hope we'll call on selective reporters this time because any surprise must be avoided. This time, though, the fine line of surprise versus forewarned is being blurred because the mini banking crisis may be equivalent to multiple rate hikes worth uh, uh, worth tightening all by their own. Right. And we just don't know yet. And neither do they. I've been saying that the bank failures might be equal to a 100 basis point rate hike. That's right. As if the Fed were to raise hikes by 100 basis points. If they did that, that's what I think is happening with the regionals. Now, it made sense after Silicon Valley and Silvergate and Signature went under in March. Then First Republic was temporarily saved by the big banks, depositing $30 billion to show their confidence. But in the end, even those extra deposits couldn't save them, and the FDIC had to facilitate a ridiculous 3 a.m. shotgun wedding. With J.P. Morgan before the bank opened yesterday to prevent a disaster. And now I'm wondering if J.P. Morgan's the only big bank in, uh, that can save us, are we really in a place where the Fed can afford to tighten at all? Lately, every time the Fed raises the short rates that they control, long-term rates go down because that's what happens when people think we're headed for a recession. That makes things tough for the Fed. 
When long rates go down, mortgages get cheaper and housing gets stronger. But the Fed wants to crush housing inflation. So it's, it's like they've got no way to win. Yep, the Fed's caught between a rock and a hard place. If they say they want to wait and see what happens after tomorrow's rate hike, you could legitimately say, hey, we know what will happen. Things will get worse in banking and housing. If you want help gaming the Fed before its afternoon release, stay tuned. I've got a full breakdown of what are the different options and odds. The second hurdle is Apple. Unlike the Fed, we really have no idea what Apple's here to do. I always say own it, don't trade it. I'm sticking by that. However, Apple stock has moved up dramatically based on, well, who knows what? That means the quarter has to be pretty darn perfect for the stock to keep climbing. Hey, we saw that tonight. AMD moved up. They put a good quarter and then bingo, right back down. I don't see how Apple could really have that same thing happen. But we know without a new iPhone, stable Chinese market, a growing Indian market, we don't know what's going to happen. Sure, Apple could pull it off. But given how much the stock has run, every line needs to be better than expected. We didn't get that from AMD. We may not get it from Apple, and it's a tall order. So let's say we get past the Fed and past Apple. What do we have then? Well, then it's the employment number on Friday at 8.30. Remember, again, it's actually numbers, not number. You have the unemployment rate. You have wage growth. You have the labor participation rate. I think parts of this economy are still strong. But I worry about the impact of less lending from the regional banks that I talked about earlier. Plus, at this moment, we don't even know what we want on Friday, do we? If the Fed tightens and the labor numbers are weak, that looks like a hard landing. If the Fed says they'll pause the rate hikes and then the job numbers are hot, well, the Fed looks like it goofed. Kind of untenable, don't you think? Either way, Wall Street won't, won't wait, want to see a labor report that's too weak or too strong. That's a tough needle to thread. Can Jay Powell finesse this issue? I bet he will, but it won't be easy. Finally, there's the debt ceiling fiasco. Yesterday, we found out totally out of the blue that we might have less than a month to do a deal before the government runs out of money. That was shocking to me. I was, I was very upset about this. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen painted a picture of Uncle Sam defaulting on his obligations by early June. That was a gut punch. It made me feel like 2011 all over again. Back then, we all knew the Democrats and Republicans would eventually have to compromise. However, the market almost systematically declined day after day, falling more than 90% peak to trough during that debt ceiling wrangling. With the brunt of the fiasco coming when the Standard & Poor's up, the actual organization standard force, the rating agency, downgraded our government's debt. This time around, I'd argue we have an even more divisive political situation with hardliners on both sides. It's a real game of chicken now, not a faux one, because there are plenty of Republicans in Congress who I believe a default might help them win the White House next year. What's a few missed bills by the government not paid compared to storming the Capitol building? I mean, I think it's more worrisome than 2011, so it's understandable why people want to get out ahead of the carnage. Now, all these issues would be much better and much easier to put to bed if stocks were lower. And that's what's happening. Stocks are going lower to adjust to the four hurdles. But there will have to be changes made, too, before selling subsides. The FDIC, they can't just default to JP Morgan anymore. That's ridiculous. They got to come up with a plan that spots the regional banks some points so they can bid on and win the next bank that goes under. Or they need to levy a big enough fee on the industry that lets them raise the deposit insurance to at least $500,000. They want to prevent more bank runs so the FDIC protects your interests. 
So the Fed has to raise rates tomorrow, say the risks have gotten closer to recession, so we're going to wait and see how much damage has already been done. More on that later in the show. Apple will report what it reports, and if it's weaker than expected or the forecast soft, then the stock will go down. But then come back again, I believe, because there are too many things going right for this great company over the, the longer term, including its own AI. When the labor reporting rolls around on Friday, we want wages to stay steady or even come down a bit. That's what will allow the Fed to stop tightening for good. I think it'll happen eventually. I don't know if it's going to happen Friday. Debt ceiling crisis will be resolved, but maybe not until the national parks are closed, the government sells off some big parcels of land or spectrum or anything else that's not nailed down. Maybe no social security checks will be missed, though. There could be a hangover for what happens, though. It could be a little like 2011 before she go down a lot. But you know what? You had to buy it when we got near the bottom because, boy, do we have a good run after. Think about that as you sell or if you sell. It came back. I know these might not be satisfactory outcomes, but... We've been selling what we can for the Chapel Trust pretty much every day. We're not selling to flee from the market, as we told members of the investing club over and over. We're selling to raise cash so we can afford to be opportunistic and do this when the stock market goes down and not this and this, as I see so many others. Bottom line, it's not a bear market, just an interlude. And you have to recognize these four hurdles are a gauntlet, a real gauntlet that must be traversed. But those who beat it will get to the promised land of great profits. Not yet, though. Patience is needed to get through this period and a dose of fortitude while we're at it. Sunny in Illinois, sunny. Hey, Jim, a big Chicago Windy City booyah to you. Love it. A Benny's uh, uh, booyah since I was out there going to them last time. I love it. What's going on? Hey, man, this this stock market is scarier than Halloween. What's going on? Well, it does have a, it has an edge to it. Let's put it that way. We've seen these sellers before. We're going to see them again. How can I help? All right. Well, so I'm looking at uh, a company called Cisco. They posted a pretty strong quarter last time around. What's your take if you think they're going to post some strong numbers this time? Do I got your blessing to buy the stock? Um, I think that the stock is is kind of stuck and. I don't want kind of stock. I want a stock that's going to go up. So I'm going to say you got to get a stock that I think can have a real run when it reports a good quarter and not a run and then a, a fall right back down to where it was. Let's go to Eric in Michigan. Eric. Hi, Jim. Big fan of the show. Oh, thanks, Eric. Thanks for calling. What's going on? I'm calling on General Motors today, Jim. Um, earnings were about a week ago today. Ever since earnings, the stock's been down over a dollar. Earnings of 221 a share versus a street of 164, so they blew the street out. The bottom line, Jim, rose from a year ago quarter's earnings of 209 per share. Revenues of 39.98, beat the street at 38.87. The adjusted EBIT forecast was revised upward from 11 to 13 billion, from 10 to 12 and a half billion. The adjusted earnings per share is expected in the band range of 635 to 735 a share, which is up from the prior well, look, forecast. Look, Eric, look, I got to tell you, I, I can just stop you and tell you I'm with you. And I told Mary Barr on air and off air, I thought it was an excellent quarter. But you know what? People are worried about uh, they're worried about internal combustion engine sales going down and they're worried about competition in EVs for the first time. So what's going on is that people feel the profit margins are going to be crushed going forward. But I agree with you. I think GMs that are very interesting level, and we will have much more about Ford for the CNBC Investing Club this evening when Jeff Marks puts out a great piece. I saw a lot to like, but it's looking a little like 
what we saw with GM. And it's annoying. It's annoying, but there's more to it. All right, these four hurdles are a real gauntlet that must be traversed. But those who can traverse them will get to the promised land. Man Money Today, could the parent company of Burger King be crowned the winner in the fast food space? I'm checking in with the chairman of Restaurant Branch International to get the latest story. Then just ahead of tomorrow's Fed meeting, I'm sharing the odds of what can happen and what won't. And then Logitech jumped higher today after earnings. So what did Wall Street seem to like in the tech's accessory company's quarter, or is it a dead cat bounce? We're going to have to dig into the details for the company's top brands. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Nearly six months ago, we learned that Patrick Doyle the former longtime CEO of Domino's Pizza and a big favorite around here was being brought in as the executive chairman of Restaurant Brands International. That's parent of Burger King, Popeyes, Tim Hortons, Firehouse Subs. I thought it was a match made in heaven. Restaurant Brands is controlled by the Brazilian private equity firm 3G Capital, which is an exacting operator with an obsessive focus on cost controls. Doyle, meanwhile, oversaw a period of incredible growth at Domino's, perfect combination for many years of profitable growth. And I really loved, of course, anyone who remembers from Domino's, what a home run 
Patrick gave us. Hey, you know what? This is going well, too. This morning, restaurant brands reported an excellent set of numbers with 11-cent earnings beat off a 64-cent basis, 10% same-store sales growth. Wall Street was only looking for six. That's why the stock could jump more than 2% on a very bad day for the averages. And hey, it's already up more than 20% since they made Doyle chairman in November. So could this thing have more upside? Let's check in with Patrick Doyle. He's the executive chairman of restaurant brands to get a better read on the situation. Mr. Doyle, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Well, I've got to tell you, Patrick, I've learned a lot even since you've come in. And the first thing I have to say is I did not know that I'm buying Tim Hortons when I'm buying restaurant brands international, not just Burger King. And maybe I'm buying more Tim Hortons than I realized. So why don't you just tell us the real makeup of what this company's doing and where the growth engines are? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, Tim Hortons is the biggest business. So about 40 percent of our earnings uh, come out of Tim's. It's about double what we make on Burger King in the U.S. And in fact, our international business for Burger King is a little bit bigger than the BK U.S. business as well. So Tim's is is really the lead, and they had just an extraordinary quarter. I mean, same store sales up 15 and a half percent. You know, strong transaction growth, and most importantly, and this is really true across all of the brands and businesses just laying great foundations for the future. So doing things the right way, improving restaurant operations, improving food quality, just very proud of the team. And and the team in Tim's is is done just a particularly great job. Well, Patrick, one of the things that I found most amazing is when you came into Domino's, you said it was, it did not have anywhere near the digital, obviously you had to improve the taste, but didn't anywhere near the digital uh, that you wanted because it would have been so much better if you were more digitized. What I was shocked to read about is that Tim Hortons is actually probably the most digital company, a restaurant company on earth. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. I mean, it's the, it's the number one food and beverage app in Canada. I think it's the number two uh, e-commerce app after uh, after Amazon in Canada. It is a very strong digital presence in Canada. You know the the number of of users and the and the frequency that they're doing it. It's just it's an amazing business and still lots of upside. It's still only about a third of uh, of all of the orders are are digital so lots more to come there but a terrific base okay so let's uh, so everybody understands if it's digital you're thinking it's uh you would use the app to put an order in and then come by and pick yep. it up and be out real fast well it's it's that and and often it's also just using the uh the the kind of click and pay so they're going through the drive through they place the order and then they pay with the uh, with the app so we know who they are we can market back to them we know their frequency of purchase and ultimately that data becomes very powerful for us to be able to continue the relationship with that customer. Now, Patrick, one of the things that's happened as we go, as we circle to uh, Burger King and Burger King International is you've developed a level of accountability that I think the chain hasn't seen before. The chain's always been well run, including talking about how some of these franchisees are doing. It's a little eye-opening. Tell us about your level of accountability and what it means for sales. Yeah, well, so we announced, uh, you know, the last quarter that uh, our our franchisee level of profits at the restaurant level. And so we have brought everybody together around that and said, look, as an organization, as a franchisor, ultimately, our product is the economic model 
that we provide for these franchisees. And those numbers were down when we announced them. So we made good progress this quarter, but you know, we went out and said, look, we're accountable for driving their profits, for driving the averages. Franchisees need to be in their restaurants, they need to be you know, giving great service, making great food, but our part of this is we gotta give them a great economic model to work with, so we put that out there. It's the single most important metric that we've got everybody focused on is is driving franchisees profitability at the restaurant level. But, but uh, just to push back on that, I mean, you, you mentioned at the end of your uh, quarter, the macroeconomic environment is terrible for these franchisees. Uh, commodity, labor, energy costs, uh, uh, just increases in commodity prices. I mean, it's not a good time for them. Yeah, well, it it's been a it's been a bumpy you know year, eighteen months with everything you just mentioned. Those pressures are actually getting easier. Um, from a demand perspective, employment is what drives consumption of this category, right? So if people are employed, they want the convenience of prepared food. Employment still looks pretty good. Um, clearly, the food inflation that we were experiencing six, twelve months ago has started to ease some. There's still some labor pressure, but at least we're finding people uh, to bring into the restaurant. So it's gotten a little bit easier than it was, but we've still got a lot of work to do. I got it. Well, look, we're going to wrap, but next time we come back, we got to talk about my old favorite, Popeyes, because I think uh, I've always, I was just in one two weeks ago, I've always felt that it could be a big driver. I know it's only 10% of your sales, but we'll catch that next time. I want to thank Patrick Doyle, Executive Chairman of Restaurant Brands International. Patrick, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. All right. May have money back after the break. Coming up ahead of the Fed, Kramer paints a landscape of what Wall Street might look like after the Powell Posse has its say when we return. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Like I told you at the top, this market's facing four major hurdles right now. And the first one is tomorrow, when the Federal Reserve announces its latest interest rate decision. And we hear from Fed Chief Jay Powell in his 2.30 p.m. press conference. In general, I think the conventional wisdom is more or less right this time. The near consensus among experts is that the Fed will hit us with a 25 basis point rate hike. I think that's what we'll be getting. And I think it'll be the right move. However, like I mentioned earlier, there's more uncertainty about what they'll say and signal for the future. Given the collapse of First Republic over the weekend, I believe it would make sense for the Fed to hit us with a quarter point hike and then say they're pausing for the moment as they take some time to assess the current situation because it's a little dicey right now, as we all know. I say, though, it's not likely. 
I don't know. It's not a sure thing. Let's call it that. On the one hand, yesterday morning, Goldman Sachs economist Jan Hatzius published a note where he predicted the Fed would signal a pause while retaining its overall hawkish bias. He made the same argument I've been making since Silicon Valley Bank went under. This mini banking crisis by itself represents a de facto tightening because it's forcing tons of banks to pull back on lending. Other banks, of course, are hobbled as they see their stock prices go down and people, or they, let's say, pull out their money just because they're worried. There's no FDI insurance for a lot of these people because the number that it's cut off is 250000 and they've got more in the individual bank. On the other hand, we got the opposite argument from the Wall Street Journal's chief economics correspondent, Nick Timoros, widely held as the Fed whisper because he's been so attuned to the open market committee's thinking over the past couple of years. Timoros predicted that the Fed will be delivering about whether one more quarter point rate hike would really be enough before a pause. While he didn't say it outright, he implied that Jay Powell might want to keep his options open rather than making a commitment to doing nothing at next month's meeting, which I think may be difficult. I'm concerned about that. Now, I take his point, though. I do think we'll get some kind of signal that we'll wait and see, and even if they don't say it explicitly. I certainly hope that's what happens, because if we get a genuine credit crunch, that is real bad news for the economy where we already have some areas of real concern, like commercial real estate. Those areas will go from bad to worse if the Fed decides to keep tightening relentlessly with no concern for the collateral damage caused by its war against inflation, particularly with the small and medium-sized banks that you saw all day with their stocks going down. That's what I'm worried about. What matters, though, is how this plays out in the stock market. If we don't get some sort of signal that the Fed's going to pause after tomorrow's quarter-point hike, I expect stocks to sell off. Remember, the averages have been so strong this year, in large part because Wall Street figured the tightening cycle was almost always over. And that's what you're supposed to buy, almost over. That's exactly what you're supposed to buy, when it's almost over. However, that's honestly not what I'm most worried about headed into tomorrow. What truly has me concerned is that you've got a large cohort of people, investors, who truly believe the Fed will start cutting interest rates by the end of the year. According to the federal funds futures market, there's a 73% chance that we're going to get a rate cut by September, a 93% chance we'll get one by November, and a staggering 99% chance we'll get one by December. I think these odds are ridiculously wrong, people. But that's how people are betting in the futures market. Unfortunately, tons of investors seem convinced the Fed will be cutting rates at some point in the second half. I simply don't think Jay Powell's willing to go there. He and his compadres believe that persistent, intractable inflation is the biggest threat to the economy. Even though it's been cooling, it's still too high for them. And I get that. Now, this might be hard to understand if you didn't live through the 70s, as I did. Nobody in the open market committee wants to be remembered as the next Arthur Burns. He was the Fed chairman from 1970 to 1978. You know, he's widely regarded as the worst American central banker, banker in modern history. The worst. Burns was dealing with serious inflation, yet every time the economy started cooling, he'd blink, and then inflation would come roaring back. Instead, Powell wants to be like Burns' successor, Paul Volcker, revered. He ruthlessly tightened in the early 80s, causing a hideous recession, but also beat inflation for over a generation. Burns was too afraid to cause a severe recession in order to beat inflation. So we ended up with both high inflation and stagnant economy, the worst possible choices. Volcker was willing to inflict enough pain on the economy to solve the inflation problem almost permanently. So going forward, Powell's going to ask himself, what would Volcker do? And Volcker definitely wouldn't cut interest rates at any point this year. That's why I think these would, this was not what Volcker would do. He wouldn't balk at throwing the economy into recession. So I think it's nuts that anyone expects Powell to start giving us rate cuts by the end of the year. I know the market would love that, but it's simply not going to happen. These people are going to be wrong. 
That's what I think. While I don't see him continuing to tighten after tomorrow, at least not for a while, Powell's idea of staying the course likely means leaving interest rates higher for a sustained period of time, which would be very contrary to what you're seeing here. So here's what worries me. If push comes to shove tomorrow and some intrepid reporter asked Powell point blank during that press conference whether or not the Fed can see itself cutting rates by end of the year, I think he'll tell the truth, which is no way. But we know from the federal funds futures market that tons of people would be very disappointed by that answer. So I'd expect stocks to sell off hard if that's the way things play out. Why should, what should you do about all of this? Well, first, you need to be aware that these things are happening, which is why I'm doing this piece, so that you can make things become your rational decisions, even when we do get a pullback because of some of the possibilities I've just mentioned. Really, I think that's one of the reasons we sold off so hard today. People were worried about what Powell might say tomorrow, and I don't blame them. As I said at the top, it's very significant what's happening right now because of these hurdles. But I also think it's not the worst idea for you to raise some cash, which is what we've been doing. If, you've been, if you're a member of the, of the Look, if you remember this, the investing club for CBC, you know that we've been saying this over and over and over again. Don't even want to beat a dead horse, but we've been raising cash, raising cash, raising, raising cash with sales for the past couple of days. We've now taken the trust cash position up to around 9% of the portfolio. That is a rather high position for our fund. Uh, if I'm right, that Wall Street will have to adjust the idea of interest rates staying higher for longer for tomorrow, then you probably want to lighten up on the kind of growth names that become less valuable in a high interest rate environment because you have to factor in interest rates when you're judging the value of future cash flows. In other words, tech could get hit. But the Nasdaq 100 up 21% in the first months of the year. There are tons of fast-growing tech stocks that now represent good candidates for reading the register. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of money managers reading the register on them tomorrow morning. But the bottom line, it's a good idea to have some dry powder that you can deploy if Jay Powell says something obvious tomorrow that nevertheless freaks people out. That's what we're doing at the club. And don't forget, that's just the first hurdle we need to jump. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got a bunch of high hurdles, and tomorrow's just one rung of the gauntlet. Let's take calls. Let's go to Perry in Tennessee. Perry. Hey, Jim. What's going on, buddy? Not much. I'm checking in, trying to figure out what's going on with you. What's happening? Um, looking at deer. I own deer. I'm looking at all the numbers. The beta looks incredible. And Royce, and I don't understand why it's trending down. Well, no I'll tell you why I think it's trending down. There are a lot of people who feel that uh, that, the, that most of the commodity complex is going to go down because the Fed's tightening, uh, because uh, people feel that uh, the agricultural cycle is played out. I agree with you. I like deer. I also like the construction and forestry aspect of it. I saw Agco up big today. I think, Perry, you should stay the course and even buy some more deer. I think you're on to something. Let's go to Jim in, Pen- Jim in Pennsylvania. Jim. Boy, Jimmy, this is Jimmy in Pennsylvania here. Better known as as Grandpa Jimmy of nine wonderful grandkids. Here's my question. Oh, congratulations, sir. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. My question is about Key Bank, Key Core Bank, as a regional bank. I've been in it for a while. Uh, My price is about $17 a share. And with their great dividend, I guess my question is, is, you know, do I take the hit here or do I just, you know, have patience and hang in there? Well, I'll tell you, Chris, Chris Gorman runs it. He's very good, but it's a regional bank. And right now, the regional banks are all trading together. I'd like to tell you that it's fine to buy key, but I've learned my lesson. I, we don't own any regional banks from a chapel trust. We tell CNBC Investing Club members that we don't want to own them. I can't be two-faced. I say you can't own it. 
Would I sell it down here with an 8.4% yield? I don't know. I just know that I don't want to own any regional banks. It does look like it's too late to sell down here. And if we get through this crisis, it will be one to buy. But I cannot tell you it is fine to be in Kate. Let's go to Bob in Florida. Bob. Jimmy Till, thank you for having me on. Uh, My pleasure. Recently joined the club, and I, I'm, I'm loving every second of it. So. Oh, thank you, buddy. I'm trying to get people in the club because that, that's where I articulate a lot of my views. How can I help? Absolutely. So, hey, I was talking to my buddy. He's a former Army pilot, and just with the world kind of international relations tensing up, what do you think of Raytheon stock here? I'm of two minds. The Raytheon commercial aircraft business is just terrific. That's engines. I am worried that the military might be cut by the the defense budget might actually be cut right now, which would be wrong given how we need to supply the Ukrainians with all the weapons they need, particularly the Patriot, which is going over there. So I am, we talked this over at the club with Jeff. I'm a little on the fence on Raytheon until it comes lower, but I totally agree with you in terms of the prospects if we didn't have congressional works. After tomorrow's Fed rate decision, Jay Powell could say something obvious that nevertheless spooks investors. I think it's good idea to have some dry powder like we've been doing for the CBC Investing Club. Much more man body head, including my post earnings exclusive with Logitech, which has been a challenge company of late. With fears surrounding a PC sales slowdown, how could that impact a computer accessory company like Logitech, which does have far more than PCs, as you know? I'm finding out from the company CEO. Then at the top of the show, I revealed the four hurdles that are weighing on this market. But there are three more themes that investors should keep their eye on in the coming weeks. I'll reveal them in all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. miserable days like this, I like to look for stocks that can defy the gravitational pull of the averages. Stocks like Logitech International, the maker of all sorts of computer peripherals, gaming accessories. This is an interesting story. Logitech made out like a bandit during the pandemic as people spent fortunes on home office setups, video game stuff. But for the last two years, the stocks had it rough. Punching from 140 in June of 2021 down to 41 and changed at its lows last October. Since then, it's rebounded to the low 60s, although it's still down huge from its highs. Last night, Logitech reported a better-than-expected set of numbers, though, and the stock rallied almost 4%. Investors acknowledge that the stock has gotten just too darn cheap. So can we get behind this comeback story? Let's dig deeper with Bracken Darrow. The president and CEO of Logitech International comes on in good and bad times. And I got to tell you, I love that about somebody because it shows me they've got integrity and they want to help you as a viewer. So let me go right to it. All right. Bracken, I got to say, you look at stocks the way I do, in the way you t- your own stock. I've always believed that sometimes the market cap isn't big enough for the opportunity. One of the most amazing things that's happened with you is that your company has had an explosion in sales, much bigger, by the way, than even pre-pandemic. Oh, yeah. But the market cap's going down, and that seems illogical to me, given the fact that the opportunity turned out to be much bigger than people thought. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more, of course. You know, I think uh, we're in these three or four really big secular trend areas. Right. All of our categories sit in either hybrid work or gaming. Or, or really the idea of a home office or office anywhere. And those are like the hottest places to be for the next 20 years. I mean, you know, they're going to be more gamers, more people working from different places. 
and obviously more rooms are going to be enabled with video. So we love where we are. And you obviously bought back a lot of stocks since then, which Absolutely. makes a lot of sense because the opportunity's there. You have a lot of cash on the balance sheet. Yeah, we returned $600 million to shareholders last year, almost $600 million, and we're uh, we're committed to just continuing to execute. You know, we I don't know if the other thing that we've got, we're doing is we're really investing in innovation. You know, we we, we had a hundred almost a hundred design awards last year, a hundred by far the highest ever. But and, you, uh, and, you know, 80 in the last quarter. But, you know, I, I understand that. But people are really caught up not in what's going on at home and not what's going on with the consumer. But this corporate video number is what people seem to be really seizing yeah. on. Is that a right or wrong way to look at this company? Well, I think there, our corporate video number is a little confusing because yeah. it show, it's a Well, that's why number. I asked because it's confusing uh, to me. I'm glad you asked because if you look at the number inside there that matters, which is solutions for the room. Those are growing. They grew 5% last quarter. On top of some huge numbers the year before and the year before that. So we really love where we are from that standpoint. We're gaining market share. We have great a great portfolio. We have really cool stuff coming. All right, so I was going over with Ben Stoto before, my research director. We were both marveling. How can you cut the operating expenses are down so much? What are you doing over there that you've been? I never thought you ran a fat organization. No, we, we really planned... When we were building during the pandemic, right. we were building with the opportunity to pull it back out if we felt like things were pulling back. Yes. Well, so we really put a lot of variable cost in. We took a lot of variable cost out. And, uh, and then, but at the same time, we've kept investing in innovation. We kept investing in go-to-market. Well, what, what I've kind of tried to understand and everyone's trying to grapple with is, is the bottom real? I mean, we have so many people who say, well, PCs may be bottom. You're bigger than PCs. I get that. But we're all trying to figure out whether we're troughing. These are the terms people use. Are we troughing? Are we almost troughing? Have we troughed? Where do you think we are in that, in that, in that panoply? You know, we guided six months, so we obviously don't have a crystal ball. Right. But, but what, what we do have is the ability to be flexible. We could flex up during the okay. pandemic. We flexed down you know, over the last year to make sure our costs were in line. We're ready to go either direction, and we're ready to grow. And, and this is all about growth. So we're really poised for growth now. We're ready for the comeback when it does come. But when I put on my uh, your my AirPods, your pods that are yours, yep. I think you know what? These are deluxe, and they're too expensive. If people are starting to worry about their jobs, are we there yet? That your high end stuff, which was so great at home, is now not in demand? No, you know it's really interesting. Our our mix is actually really good within category. If you looked at our, in fact, if you looked at our mouse business, our oldest business, right, the best growing things are the high end of the mouse business. MX Master, our, our new ergonomic mice, same now, thing for keyboards. Well, now, explain it to me why that would be. Well, I think it's partly because we're, our products are just really affordable. You know, it's, you don't have to drop, you know, $500 to, to buy a really high end mouse. And you think about how much you use your, your personal workspace at home now. Well, I'll tell you something, though. I've been thinking about you when I look at you. Have, you have had to write this in your, in your releases. Yeah. Sale down 70%. Income down 41%. Earnings per share down 41%. Now, these will go away as you annualize. But what is it like for you, who's a total winner, to have to put down, down, down like that? I hate that. <laughs> I absolutely hate that. And everybody in my company hates that. But you've got to just keep your head on straight and right. say, you know what? We're still up, you know, 40, 50 percent versus pre-pandemic. Right. And I know what we're doing now is really setting us up for the next wave of growth. So I, you have to remind yourself of that. And gaming is still very strong, right? Yeah. I mean, Take-Two's coming back. And Activision, just because of that lawsuit. Sony reported big numbers. Right, yeah. Reported big numbers. And you see that business just continuing its flight path. Yeah, I think gaming is going to always be strong for the How next the 20 years. How the heck is that true? I well, mean, at what point did we just say everybody's going to game is gaming? 
Well, because there are two things. One is, you know, gaming is, is growing in terms of the, the market share of entertainment. It's, yes. The big games are now much bigger than the biggest movies. And the other thing is you've always got a young cohort coming in, new, the new 12 and 13-year-olds coming in and starting to play games. So you've got this endless fuel from the bottom. You've got people doing more gaming, and then people aren't leaving. So they continue to game into their 30s and 35 and 40. So this is going to be a growing market for for the decades. Well, I'm glad you say that because I think a lot of people just say, well, after Activision, Blizzard wasn't bought by Microsoft. Forget these guys. I view the opposite. Yeah. I think these are exciting. I know more gamers than I know people watch Netflix. Oh, yeah. yeah, Just yeah. very, very yeah. big. I know some young people, thank heavens, right? Absolutely. All right, well, Bracken Darrell, once again, is the CEO of Logitech. Now, if you ask me, it's bottom, but I've got to tell you, there's a very tough category. I mean, we watch AMD tonight. People say it's at bottom, not bottom. It's NVIDIA bottom, not bottom. It's very, very hard, but understand it's an inexpensive stock, no matter what, on any metric. That money's back in the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Come on, the lightning round. Let's start with David North Carolina. David! Hey, Stone Cold Limited. Is a one-month rally over or they do highs in the future? I'll tell you, it's a Brazilian company, enterprise software. I can do without it at these highs. Let's go to Catherine in Texas. Catherine. Hi, Jim. Long-time fan of yours. I actually you, got Kevin. to meet you on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange 10 years ago with my family. Oh, that's right. I, 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 I hope I was nice. Yes, I will say that experience definitely inspired me to complete my bachelor's degree in finance. Fantastic. Glad I played that Anyways, role. my question is about Sprouts Farmer's Market. I bought half of my intended position yesterday morning at its low, and I know they had a great quarter one earnings call yesterday. What is your opinion? Should I buy I the other you, half I was, tomorrow I, morning? I think you'll let it run. I think that quarter was excellent. You're absolutely right. I was quite surprised. A lot of other people surprised. They're going to get a lot of other adherents. I would stay along that, and I'm glad we got to meet each other. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you for all your success and sharing it with us. Let's go to Daryl in Tennessee. Daryl. Hey, Jim. This is Daryl Flowers in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been watching you so long, I remember when you had a head full of hair and you were a guest on CNBC. Indeed, indeed. That was an actual true true story. That was a true story, but this TV was black and white back then. I don't know how you could tell. What's going on? This this industrial posted a slight beat in earnings and close today $2 above its 200-day moving average. I look to market rebellion for technical, so you're the god of fundamental research. What about United Rentals? I didn't think that quarter was that great, frankly. I, I, they missed the number. They didn't give me the guide that I wanted. Uh, it helped bring down a lot of other stocks. I, there are other industrials that I think are better. I was surprised about the weakness. Let's go to Sean in New York. Sean. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Good. This how about you? Sean Antoine. Uh, I just had a question about Fisker, man. I've been investing with them since they uh, did the whole SPAC. Uh, merger, and uh, I just want to know what you think about their future. I think uh, Henrik is a great CEO, and um, look, I think he's a great CEO. But I'm going to reiterate that I am not recommending any any of the companies that are losing money, and they are losing boatloads of money. So I can't go there. I am sorry. Let's go to uh, Jamie in California. Jamie, hey, big booyah from California, Jen. Good to have you on the show. What's happening? 
I would like to hear your expert opinion on ticker MRVL. Marvell, Matt Murphy is terrific. The stock is bouncing around on the bottom. I don't expect it to be able to go up and do you have not one, but two good quarters, particularly after advanced micros action tonight, which people do not like, even though the company is excellent. Let's go to Chris in Texas. Chris. Hey, Jim. Uh, hey, my stock is SoFi. Uh, with strong earnings surpassing estimates, I was baffled how it was down 12 and then 10% over the last uh, two days. I've been a customer and an investor since 2020. Any thoughts on the short and long-term future? Well, I have so to far? tell you, in the end, it turned out that SoFi is not going to be any different from the other regional banks, even though it's really kind of a national online bank. It's trading with that cohort, and that cohort is absolutely nauseating. So I can't figure out where SoFi stops. But believe me, it ain't, ain't SoFi's fault. It is the cohort. Let's go to Tony in Washington. Tony. Mr. Kramer, first time caller here. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Hey, I got a question for you on what I believe to be a severely overlooked stock in the hydrogen space. So most pure play hydrogen companies are wildly unprofitable, but this one is actually guiding to sustainably positive operating margins this year. Uh, the IRA and corporate ESG goals are also significant tailwinds for it, but despite all these positive catalysts, the okay. company is currently trading down near longer-term support level. Uh, what do you think about Bloom Energy? Okay, I, I like hydrogen. That's why I've been uh, the charitable trust owns Lindy. That make company makes money. Bloom Energy doesn't make money, so therefore I do not have any desire to recommend it on Mad Money. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. the show, I told you this market's got jumped four hurdles, the Fed meeting, the Apple quarter, the labor report, and then the debt ceiling crisis. On top of that, though, we've got three issues that are also weighing on the average that i got to go over. First is something existential. It's the response to the mini banking crisis going on right now. The government, and here I'm talking about the Treasury Department, the Fed, FDIC, made a terrible miscalculation when they didn't think through what might happen with First Republic. They needed to come up with a plan to sell off the bank's carcass that didn't tilt the field in favor of J.P. Morgan. Perhaps they could have said, all right, everyone has to put up some amount and we'll do the rest. So tell us why you should get Republic. Hey, how would it help the small business borrower? Maybe the local car dealer. Or they should have done it like gamblers from football. Use a point spread. Give some extra points to a PNC or spot USB a touchdown. Don't just give it to the favorite like they did. Unfortunately, the way they handled First Republic has now set a precedent. Now, every bank that gets in trouble will likely be snapped up by J.P. Morgan via the FDIC because it's got the deepest pockets. I don't think that's right. Now, I like the company J.P. Morgan, but I also want healthy competition in the financial industry, which we can't have if there's too much consolidation. That's why the FDIC absolutely must raise the deposit insurance cap to help the other regional banks get through this period. A higher cap will prevent rich people from pulling their deposits and moving somewhere that's perceived to be safer. They have to do it because they had no plan for First Republic's demise, which is unbelievable given how obvious it was. So I figure they don't have any plan for the other regional banks that stocks collapse today. 
We don't want another panic of 1907 when J.P. Morgan, the person, saved the market by acting as a lender of last resort. Feels like we're headed there, though, doesn't it? Shame on the FDIC for not having a plan when the outcome was pretty much inevitable. How could they be so obtuse as to trust the clowns running First Republic to get it right? Their credibility had already been shredded by previous events. Only a matter of time. Yet the FDIC was still caught with its pants down. Now all the regionals are back on the red-hot griddle until the agency moves to raise the deposit insurance cap. Next issue. We had a huge decline in oil today, which is signaling that a recession may already be upon us. I know oil is just one indicator, but somehow it's become the be-all and end-all of indicators. While I don't think we can truly be in a recession when we've got so much good news from so many companies this earnings season, I recognize that oil is regarded as the bellwether, and I'm not going to argue with the crowd. It's a surprisingly illiquid market that comes down on light volume, and all it does is help the Fed. Nevertheless, lower oil is a trigger, and it's being, well, a trigger, especially because BP this morning said oil could go to 60. Finally, there's the attack of AI. We have two companies that aren't doing especially well, IBM and Chegg. Can't believe I'm putting those in the same sentence. IBM saying that it might be able to lay off people or at least not hire people by using AI to replace them. I think we've all been waiting for a company to say this. IBM did it. Get used to it. How about Chegg? This is an educational assistance company that they said ChatGPT has hurt their business. No kidding. It's a free service that does elementary things and has the potential to be the plagiarist best friend until Chegg can come up with something simpler, better, cleaner. I think its earnings will be suspect. At the very least, they're in trouble using uh, until teachers all start using AI detection software to grade their students' essays, essays, and that will happen. As with the four hurdles I described at the top of the show, these three issues, the banks, the decline in oil, and the artificial intelligence reckoning will already be dealt with. But that might just mean stocks go lower to adjust, as we saw today. That's just what happens when people have serious doubts, even as I believe these problems might end up being a lot less severe than expected. And you'll wish, ultimately, you would have bought, not sold, the stocks of high-quality companies that will very soon be ripe for the picking. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.